0: Today's sponsor of Happy Sag Confused is Loot Crate. For less than $20 a month, Loot Crate gives the geek and you a special treat every month. Loot Crate, of course, is a subscription box service with over $40 worth of geek, gamer, and pop culture gear, apparel, collectibles, comics, and more delivered to your mailbox each and every month. This month, they're bringing you a fight for the ages, so suit up, choose your allies, and enter the arena for combat. They're ready to stand their ground this month with exclusive items from Blizzard, Fallout 4, for Capcom, sponsor-worthy loot from The Hunger Games, as well as a few more items that will help their winners emerge victorious. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it, guys. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com/happy and enter the code happy to save three dollars on your new subscription today. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I am Josh Horowitz. Welcome to my little old podcast. You're so kind to listen. Thanks. I mean that to each and every one of you. And to Sammy joining me for the intro once again, an old veteran. Hey, Sammy.
1: Hey, Josh. I'm happy to be here today.
0: I feel like neither of us actually mean what we say. <laughs> you
1: know, like, you just said thanks to each and every one of them, but you don't care about No, them. I do, I do,
0: I do. Uh, I'm very excited, because this week's, we've been on a really good run of um, great filmmakers. Last week was Danny Boyle, we had Guillermo del Toro recently, um, and this week's guest is uh, a true, um, I don't know, he's kind of a geek god like Guillermo in many ways. Uh, Sam Raimi is the guest on this week's episode of Happy, Said, Confused, and um, not that I need to list the resume of sam raimi but let's just talk let's about, do it let's just talk let's sam just raimi it. for a second of course maybe most well known for the spider-man films the first the spider-man uh uno dos and tres that's what it's called right
1: i maybe in uh in mexico, <laughs> in I, Spain, I, mexico. I
0: watch all my spider-man films in Mex- mexico it's a tradition you steal the <laughs> yes, I watch <laughs> the bootleg exactly. version it's best at the bootleg version uh and then of course well he, it's
1: important to yes. note that it was like the real spider the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Wow. Like the, you know, you're, everyone's you're Spider-Man. You're
0: dissing um, previous guests on the show, Andrew Garfield and Mark Webb, director. So you basically, you're just I mean, shitting here on here previous guests friends. here and there. <laughs> I'm
1: not here to make friends. I'm here to tell the truth.
0: Look, it is definitely true that Spider-Man uh, and Spider-Man 2 are... Ooh. Probably the best of the Spider-Man films thus far. Yeah, um, I will. By far. I will certainly defend some aspects of the Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield, Emma uh, Stone ones, but um, yeah, kind of misfires in some ways, unfortunately. But yeah, Sam um, was promoting actually a return to another ginormous franchise that he really gave birth to, even more than the Spider-Man films, which is of course the Evil Dead franchise, which he uh, you know helmed Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, of course, and Army of Darkness, and now decades later, has returned to the franchise after many, a lot of speculation over the years um, about when um, Ash, as portrayed by Bruce Campbell, would return. Well, Ash is back in Ash vs. Evil Dead. It is a new TV series uh, that is on Stars. It premiered, as you listen to this probably a couple days ago, it premiered on Halloween night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the first two episodes. It's really great. It's super, super fun. Uh, Sam directed the first episode. Um, Bruce is totally back in his element as ash if you're a fan of that character you will definitely love it um, uh, Lucy lawless shows up in the show uh, it's it's a cool action-packed filthy uh, um, horror action comedy kind of hybrid as kind of all the Evil Dead movies have been to different degrees. Did you have to
1: cover your eyes at any point? Did you get... No. Did you get a little nervous? No,
0: it's more... more, I would say it's more fun and funny and irreverent than outright scary. Because if you... Or like uh, gory. It's a little gory, but it's kind of... No, but not in in a, a truly disgusting way. Like his films, like... An interesting note on the Evil Dead films, because I know you're an aficionado, (laughs) (laughs) is that if you look back, they're kind of all each um, much different. Like the first Evil Dead is kind of like hardcore horror. And then the second one uh, is is almost a remake in some ways of the first Evil Dead. And then by the third one, Army of Darkness is kind of an out. An out comedy. So this one is kind of a little bit closer to Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness.
1: Josh Horowitz, you can only watch one Evil Dead movie for the rest of your life, and you have to watch it every single morning and every single night. Wow. So when you wake up and when you go to bed, it's the only thing you can watch. Which one are you picking?
0: I think the general consensus is the second one is the best. So I guess I, 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 I guess I would go with that. Um, I guess I would go with the second one.
1: Just because that's what the general consensus no, 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 is, there? no. because that's no, no. what yeah, you I'm really fa- feel. I'm a <laughs> yeah. I want to know well, what's I, in your heart. I
0: don't pretend to be the crazy expert of Evil Dead. Like, I haven't watched all the films dozens of times. I mean, I love them, but I'm just not the expert. Like, when I... W- growing up... Army of Darkness was the only one I've seen in theaters, mm. so I have an affection for that. But I haven't watched it again recently, so I would guess that Evil yeah. Dead 2 holds up better. Well,
1: we do call your office the Army of Darkness. So. <laughs> the,
0: the Office of Darkness? <laughs> yeah, the Office of Different Darkness. reasons, different yeah. reasons. <laughs> it's just because um,
1: of the smell.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> no, so Sam, uh, this is a great conversation. Sam is super, um, he's kind of got a, a great wit to him. He's very... Um, I don't know. You can tell he's he's a he's a little bit off, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> like he's like sounds very polite, but when you're actually listening to the things he's saying, there's kind of like a like a darkness to him. He's a contemporary also of like the Cohen Brothers. He came up with those guys, mm-hmm. so he's kind of got that kind of twisted sense of humor. I think so. Um, very proud of this conversation. It's going to be a fun one for you guys to listen to. I think. Um, otherwise, crossed, I mean, right? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, you're out of a job. <laughs> oh my buddy. God! No, don't <laughs> kick me out, guys. I want to keep doing this. Um, we've got a couple uh, great guests. Uh, coming up i'll mention them because we because yeah. we have we have taped them so i can say in coming weeks um we've got brie larson who is i'm pretty sure everyone's pretty sure she's gonna get an oscar nomination for her amazing performance in room check that out if you have a chance it's playing kind of in limited release dark movie but a, an amazing movie and she's amazing in it um and paul bettany came by today we taped that today uh obviously an amazing actor and now a writer and director of a new film called shelter also worth checking out.
1: I mean, he's an Avenger, so it's not really a big deal. Or He'll be, anything. Yeah. <laughs> It's well, like fine.
0: <laughs> Although, well, he told me a very funny story about how, um, you know, uh, he's married to Jennifer Connolly, of course. Of how course. She has, um, uh, basically made him aware that the uh, makeup and uh, stuff that he's wearing for as the vision is making him go bald.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear that.
0: So more on that in an upcoming episode of happy. And just to say,
1: as I sit here, I'm sitting where Paul Bettany sat just this morning. And what's it look, what's it feel like? There's a lot of rings on the table from his like, uh, he needed a coaster, it looked like. Like maybe his <laughs> You're like his Sherlock beverage. Holmes
0: a podcast. You walk into an office. <laughs> it looks like and he you picked could up <laughs> his cup
1: six times and placed it in a different location. This office
0: smells of Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, he, he, there was a coaster involved. Wow. You were very perceptive. How was your Halloween? By the way, we're taking this before Halloween, but, uh, you're going to hear it after my Halloween.
1: prediction is I got dressed up in a costume. I took two to three pictures and I spent,
0: what's your costume going to be? Was, uh, has been,
1: uh, I don't know if you know. I don't know. It's a character you might not know. Uh, Wolverine.
0: Oh my god! Are you, you are a caricature of yourself.
1: No. I'm, I'm like trying to pretend like it's cool. I'm so embarrassed. Have you
0: ever dressed as a Hugh Jackman character before, Sammy? If you're new to the podcast, is the world's biggest Hugh Jackman fan. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll t- I tr- I've tried to do Wolverine multiple years now, what, what, and went wrong. Well, it's always male <laughs> costumes. Yes, and it's like I, I'm a lady. She's a lady, you know. Guys. I don't want to have a m- big muscle, but I found a onesie <laughs> this year. Oh, Jesus. So then some soft claws, <laughs> right? And uh, I don't know. I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna pick up a lot of men dressed <laughs> as Wolverine. <laughs> I'm gonna find the one oh this my Halloween.
0: God, you're gonna find your Deb.
1: <laughs> I'm going to find my day. <laughs>
0: uh, well, that's lovely. I will not be dressing up uh, for Halloween because I'm boring and lame. I get all my silliness and stupidness, yeah. stupidity out in my day-to-day job. I don't need to dress up on Halloween. I have such
1: a good costume for you.
0: Oh, God, what?
1: A curmudgeon reporter. <laughs>
0: First of all, it is a a stretch to call me a reporter, so thank you for that.
1: Curmudgeon Curmudgeon is a natural. Silly Jewish man.
0: (laughs) Thank you for calling me a man. Eating
1: lean cuisines in his (laughs) basement.
0: (laughs) Lean cuisine, that's a big night. Um, (laughs) That's about all to mention, except that there are also a bunch of cool uh, after hours coming up. Um, We're taping. We have like four we're scheduled for the next few weeks. Uh, Won't jinx them by saying them, because then they'll be canceled at the last minute. Hiddleston happened. <laughs>
2: just kidding.
0: Just kidding. <laughs> you just had to mention Tom one more time. It
1: was like we had to do it. It's we like were, a good luck we thing. We almost yep,
0: got away saying. a week without t- mentioning Tommy I Hiddleston. I wasn't going
1: to let that happen. Tommy H. Not on my watch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no more Tom Hiddleston after hours until, hey, he's got a movie coming out next March. Fingers crossed. Um, no, but check out the MTV News YouTube page and check out all our shenanigans there. There should be a, a new one. Up uh, Wednesday of this week, so check it out. And in the meantime, uh, send me, uh, tell me what you're thinking on on Twitter. Tell me what, who you want to hear on the show at Joshua Horowitz. And uh, I hope you enjoy this week's podcast with one of our our truly uh, best filmmakers out there, uh, Sam Raimi. Check out Ash versus Evil Dead. And
1: enjoy. here comes the music. I love. Oh, the you music. feel the music happening? I'm dancing to it, No, that's not the music. Clearly, it's edited in <laughs> post. No, please stop. <laughs>
0: You've been Comic Conning this weekend.
2: Comic Con? That, that's why we're here. Yeah, it's one of the main reasons. Although there might be some other event that is happening it's in town. Uh, oh, the Paley, Paley Fest thing. Fest that's tomorrow. fun. Oh, yeah, Paley yeah. The yeah, and then we're
0: doing a junket we're just really
2: working them so, <laughs> so who's your listeners uh young people young people film geeks
0: film I mean like yeah look uh, well, I mean we have everybody on here a lot of filmmakers Guillermo was just on Guillermo cool. del Toro um, he's great I love that guy just have Winona Ryder on he's refreshing he is so enthusiastic right yeah,
2: I say, fuck him fuck it? this fuck that Did he swear?
0: oh my god have you seen Crimson Peak I, I love it tomorrow. I'm no, obsessed it. it's amazing
2: I love his movies. I can't wait. It looks great.
0: It might be one of my favorites, if not my favorite of his. I know. And that's high praise. Wow. Yeah. You,
2: the Orphanage,
0: I think, is right now still. But that was. But he, but he produced, produced it, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. I love The Orphanage, too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um No, it's just like satisfying in like a deep way. Like, it's just like sumptuous to look at, fun, mm-hmm. dark, creepy. It's sort of different
1: for Tom, too, right?
0: Yeah, he's kind of like a romantic hero. Kind Tom of. who? Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston.
2: Oh, I don't even know who that actor is. He played
0: Loki in the Avengers. he was, oh, he was in that great. Movie. What was the one with Tilda Swinton that I loved? Oh, the um, day uh, only go,
2: uh, only lovers left alive. Yes, Jim movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And is Miss Wachowski in the lead in *Crimson Peak*? She She's the girl? lead. Yeah, has, great.
0: How's Chastain?
2: Amazing. I mean, you know my love of Chastain, just, Chastain yeah, probably. I yeah. <laughs>
0: I just saw *The Martian* on Saturday night. So good. So good. Yeah. Again, it's just satisfying as is look at this segue i know ash versus evil dead look at that i'm a professional sam
2: i i missed it can you do that again
0: i was saying (laughs) the martian i was saying the martian was satisfying but nothing compared to no seriously i watched the first two episodes (laughs) last night it's it's a blast yeah
2: oh that's nice of you thank you thank you um have we started yeah i
0: guess we started have we started do you want to start right Mm. now (laughs) <laughs> for those of you listening, he just made some really dramatic hand motions that were very pleasurable for me to see. I feel like I was just directed by you. Um, no, it's, it's a blast to see uh, this franchise continue after all these years. It's kind of crazy. It's uh, 20 plus years since we've last seen Ash in action. He's back. He's back, right? So was it exciting? I, you were at Comic-Con, I was just saying, over the weekend doing some stuff um, to see that the fans are still there, that they haven't waned, if anything. I feel like they're more rabid than, than ever.
2: The fans have always been great. They've really given us our chance in this business. When we couldn't make Evil Dead movies, we couldn't make any movie, no one give us money, there was still a demand for an Evil Dead 2. And that's the one movie that kind of saved our career. Yeah. And then years later, when our movies went bad again and we couldn't get financing... The crowd wanted to see one more Evil Dead, so we were able to make Army of Darkness, and that kind of saved our career again. So the fans have really given us more than one chance in this business.
0: Was there a certain point in your career where you realized that your life's work would be Evil Dead? Because clearly now you're just going to keep coming back to this at some point. Whenever you
2: either want to or need it, it's going to be there for you, and the fans will be ready to receive it. That clarity of my past is only possible through the window of your show. (laughs) The truth is, there's so many points in my life, I think I'm never making another one of those pictures again. For instance, I had made three Evil Dead films, and then I was making these very big Spider-Man pictures. Marvel's great superhero, Peter Parker, is Spider-Man. And the kids seemed to really like it. But I would go to these uh, Comic-Con festivals or promotional pieces, and all the audience wanted to hear was, uh, to ask was, this is fine, but when's the next Evil Dead picture? So I, I thought I had gotten away from it, but never. Like
0: Michael Corleone, just when you think you're out.
2: That's right. <laughs> and, and you know, it's really wonderful to have something as a writer and a director that the fans want to see, because it's so rare. Yeah, I've been in the business for like 35, maybe 40 years, and um, I've never had anything that they've asked me to do again. Right. Usually just ask me, please don't do that That's again. That's not true. <laughs> but, this is the one thing, the le- the last thing I would expect, because it's the first thing that we did. Yeah. We made Evil Dead to break into the business, just trying to make it as good as as it needed to be so that a drive-in movie theater would show it. Yeah, Never expected it to stick around as long as it has. Is there,
0: is there a lesson there in hindsight for, for a young filmmaker in terms of just go with your gut and, like, who knows, 30-plus years from now it might reap
2: rewards? I mean, what is the what is the upshot of something like that, you think? Well, I guess... Uh, like, like you said, go with your gut, uh, trust your passion. That's always the right thing to do as a film director because reason doesn't really apply as a film director. You really have to go with what you believe is the story, what you believe is the theme, what you believe is right, and you don't even need to explain it in words. In fact, I think that kind of destroys it oftentimes. Yeah. My favorite films are Federico Fellini, and I'm so glad I don't have a track of him doing the director's voiceover <laughs> explaining everything i mean that just kills everything for me I, right i uh reason is the enemy of uh, art sometimes so trust the passion i agree with your suggestion
0: is there is there any uh do you remember the first time that you uh took great pleasure in injuring bruce campbell on screen or was it still as satisfying today as it was uh, all those years ago
2: well that started in high school even uh, <laughs> Before cameras were around? Or? Well, we were still making Super 8 movies. Right, right. They were around on the weekends. But I remember in class, if Bruce would raise his hand and ask a question, I would take a pen and jam it into the back of his spine <laughs> gently at first. But then as the question would proceed, the pressure would increase till it was almost unbearable as I'd hear the question wrapping up. That's when we were in danger of actually puncturing the skin. <laughs>
0: because it's 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 really heartening to see that you haven't missed the beat in the in the pilot you he he's you put him through the ringer yet again, and this is actually a common theme i would I would venture to say throughout a lot of your work beyond just the evil dead movies. your protagonists tend to suffer a great deal, whether it's spider man, poor Peter Parker or please drag me to hell with uh dark man um you seem to revel
2: in i guess that's good drama though in a way I think it's more my recognition of a sickness that the audience has. That I am simply trying to cure, <laughs> and that is they love to watch the innocent suffer right. on screen. I don't know what it is. That's part of a maybe it's a right of a viewership of identification with a hero that they've got to watch him go through the dregs, the the lowest part, the hardest parts before they appreciate his success, but. I'm just trying to give those sick devils in the in the crowd <laughs> what they need.
0: Luckily there are people like you. You're one of them. You're one of us too. Don't pretend like you're better than well, us. I, I Sam. guess
2: I'm one of you too, but yeah. At least I recognize what we need. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to drag you in with me. Okay.
0: Happily there with you. Um yeah, you talked about this, I mean like in the 20 plus years since Army of Darkness, there's been a lot of talk about different incarnations of what the next installment would be. I know there was a film that you guys talked about on off and on it sounds like you've never wanted for ideas for this character. I mean, has it always been clear to you what direction you wanted to go in or did you wrestle a lot with you and your collaboration in terms of like what the logical next step would be?
2: It's always a wrestling job and, um, we never really know it's sitting down with the writer or writers and figuring out what would be the next logical entertaining step. What's unexpected. Um, what and nowadays what do the fans really want to see you know and you never really can answer that question so that question's always in success you you turn it back on yourself and say well what do i w- i want to see and hopefully i'm still connected to the fans and just a fanboy myself and if i can answer that correctly for myself i'll have made something that everyone else wants to see
0: what are, what are the advantages of getting uh 10 episodes what uh, i guess roughly 5 hours to explore this and perhaps more as opposed to doing a 100-minute film?
2: Um, what are the advantages? I think the there are advantages and disadvantages. Advantages are the audience really loves Bruce Campbell. They love him playing this numbskull monster fighter, this blowhard, this egotist, this, this braggart, buffoon, and coward. <laughs> and um, now they can watch five uninterrupted hours over the course of the first season of him. They say that TV is great for character, and so They get a load of that character. Now, the bad part is Evil Dead was always not just Bruce. That's 80% of it. But 20% was these cool camera shots and trying to be inventive angles and cool suggestions of the supernatural. So that, well, they served those wild angles and cool suggestions of the supernatural. Served as seeds for the audience to plant in their very fertile imaginations and grow Trees of horror, you know, these uh, horrific, scary ideas. Well, I don't really have time on a TV schedule to um, do kind of cool, interesting, um, complex, I should say, camera pieces. Right. It's just the TV schedule demands you move, move, move. So they get Bruce 100% of the time, but... Think the trade-off is uh, the disadvantages we can't really do those cool camera shots
0: do, do you find that like you know having done this for for decades now that like do you ever worry the well runs dry in terms of like creating inventive new ways to shoot action to shoot comedy because it feels like you are able to kind of still find new angles new ways into it and I would think at a certain point wait what do we got left anybody, anybody have an idea here is that is that ever happen or is it's is it bound like you it know it never
2: seems yeah. like we're out of ideas, but the way we keep going is by doing just what you said. Hey, anybody got an idea here? Yeah, I'm a very big collaborator, and I take all the great ideas of my casting crew, and I incorporate them into the shots, into the story, into the scenes. Now, that's not to say I don't claim that I, I claim them as my own, of course. <laughs> I am a director. <laughs> but that's really the, the secret of never running drive, using the entire team's energy and ideas to make it something much better than you could ever have imagined on your own. Did
0: you feel like, I mean... Y- I don't know the legalities of, of the ownership of the, of, of the franchise, the characters and all that exactly. But like over the years, did you feel like you had to protect it in a way, I would think? I mean, obviously you did a remake a few years back, which I was a great fan of, by the way, uh, what Fede did with that. But yeah. uh, um, in terms of like, did people... I, I would think people would have come to you over the years and said let's cast, you know, Bradley Cooper as the new Ash, et cetera. You know what I mean?
2: I mean, did that conversation come up? And did you have to um, convince people otherwise? That one didn't because Bruce Campbell, for horror movie fans, is like Charlie Chaplin. So it's more like, let's make another Bruce Campbell movie. Right. You know, what do you call him? Oh, yeah, Evil Dead. So he's really, that never came up about replacing him for that. I have lost him in other movies. I went into the movie expecting to star Bruce. And two months beforehand learned that the studio wouldn't allow it Yeah, before he was a star.
0: uh, I'm curious also, I mean, if you look at the three Evil Dead movies, how much of it is happenstance and just sort of like the, the where you were at in your life that, I mean, each of them has kind of a different vibe. You can't say necessarily that they have a, I mean, there's a certain, obviously, through lines, Bruce among them, but they they do kind of each have their own kind of mojo to them uh in terms of feel look budget etc how much of that just was purposeful and how much of it was just sort of the circumstances of the time of how much money you had etc
2: it was very purposeful when we finished evil dead 1 and we had a chance an opportunity to make the sequel the only movie we could get the money for we re- we i asked myself what what did they like about the first one and i think the answer i came up with was that it was different. We tried to be original, even though it played upon all the old tropes of the horror movie. It was greatly influenced by George Romero's great Night of the Living Dead and other horror movies and has a 1,000 things in it that every other horror movie might have. But we tried to be original as we could. Sure. And I think the audience appreciated that more than anything. So I said to the boys, we're going to make this movie as original as possible, even original from the first one. Now. Some people might want the same thing, but not the fans of Evil Dead, I thought. Yeah. But they want something original again, even if it's different than the first one. So we made it into more of a wild comedy. Right. And then the third one, we, we played out the same scenario. We said, we're going to have to move in a new direction, fellas. Uh, Bruce, Rob, and myself got our, got together and we agreed we'd give them something original. So we turned that into like a medieval comedy. Right. And then I think when it came time for the TV show, we had the same conversation. And the thing that was going to be original there was this new blend of Bruce all the time and very few, you know, camera effects or digital effects or uh, camera shots uh, that took a lot of time to set up. So we said, we'll just delve deeply into the the nutball scumbag, the loser <laughs> that is Bruce. Bruce and um And that's what would be different this time. So this time it was kind of forced upon us by the medium itself.
0: Well, there's so much comedy and enjoyment just to have of putting him, yes, uh, that buffoon amidst people that are just staring at him wide-eyed, like, what's your problem, <laughs> you idiot? <laughs> you're, you're the best we've got to defend us against this problem. We're screwed.
2: Yeah, that's not always this
0: So uh, back uh, on, on Evil Dead, as you recalled on the first one, I mean, were you a, a filmmaker at that time? You are you know, quite a young man. Did you have a lot of confidence? Did you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing? Or did you have kind of the arrogance of youth, like, oh, I got this, this is, I was meant to do this, I'm ready for this?
2: I had the arrogance of youth. <laughs> And, and that was,
0: served you well, I guess? or Very well. Yeah. I was
2: figuring it out, figuring out as I went. Storyboarding scenes the night before, getting more and more excited about the craft as the movie went on.
0: What um, Talking a little bit about background, you grew up in Michigan. Was was there any, any filmmaking pedigree in your family? Any, was there a big love of the arts? What was sort of like the environment in the Ramey household for the attitude towards film and TV, et cetera?
2: Well, my father was a amateur 16 millimeter home movie maker. At the time... 1969, when I was like nine years old, he was um, making little movies of the birthday parties. So I'd see on the projected on the wall, he was a very bad editor because I'd see of the three reels that he filmed, I'd see the kids leaving the party, the kids opening the presents, and then the kids coming to the party. It's the third (laughs) reel. He spliced them all in the wrong order. It was very um, avant-garde. He was impressionistic. And that blew my mind. first, I saw this, that he had captured reality, which was, I thought, a power that no man should have. He captured and replayed reality. And then he was genius enough to alter the time sequence that I remember that it had happened in. And that that's what blew my mind about film. Not some great movie, but the most basic thing about motion pictures is that you can capture reality and alter it. Right. And uh, once I saw that, I was hooked.
0: Were your... Were your- parents encouraging of your hobby turned
2: vocation? They were not discouraging. They were kind of waiting for me to give it up and get a real job. Right. But they allowed me to film in the house and um, I would make money raking leaves and shoveling snow and I'd buy the film cartridges, the Kodak. Kodachrome 40 or ectachrome 160 was the names of the film stocks. So you'd buy a reversal stock. You'd snap into the camera and could start filming. And they allowed me to shoot in the house, make messes. Uh, but they were really waiting for me to come back to reality it just never happened
0: you you've appeared in, in, in quite a number of films you've acted quite a bit a little bit i mean little cameos here and there was there an ambition to act early on
2: well i was always in the high school plays with bruce but i realized early on that he was a much better actor now you get an idea how bad i am um. <laughs> sometimes you need the, the really good guy next to you to remind
0: you what or you fit in the universe
2: yes <laughs> Plus he was a good looking guy. So we always put him in front of the camera and I'd be behind the camera. And that's really was was how we started to break up the responsibilities of movie making. But no, I never really saw myself as an actor. and um, But I would take a lot of parts in movies because I wanted to learn how to be a better director. And I would learn. People would direct me and I'd think, gee, they're not telling me anything. I don't know what to do here. I got to remember to be clear to the actors. Tell them where to stand, where to move, what the scene's about. Or other times I'd work on a show and the guy would be giving me way too much direction, right. filling my head with all these nuances that I don't even know how to handle the props yet. And he's telling me about this thematic element that has nothing to do with my simple performance. And I think I got to remember to keep it simple for these guys, you know, when I direct. So I, I learn a lot just by. By doing.
0: Today's sponsor of Happy Set Confused is Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you guys can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com happy and using the code happy. Listen, guys, you spend at least a third of your life sleeping. Let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfy technologies together for better nights and brighter days. Latex foam and memory foam. So they've got just the right sink and just the right bounce no matter how you sleep. And they've got a risk-free trial and return policy, guys. They'll deliver it straight to you. You can try it for 100 days. And if you're not happy, they'll pick it right back up. At the store, maybe you get a minute to try mattresses. With Casper, you actually get to sleep on it. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that is a crazy outstanding price point. So get $50 towards any mattress purchased right now by going to casper.com and using the code HAPPY terms and conditions apply. When you classify yourself as a geek gamer or pop culture nerd? Then Loot Crate is the subscription box for you. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with over $40 worth of geek, gamer, and pop culture gear, collectibles, comics, apparel, and much more delivered to your mailbox every month. So make sure to head to lootcrate.com/happy and enter the code happy to save $3 on any new subscription. Every month, guys, it's a different theme, all are inspired by classic movie and video game franchises as well as all the big pop culture ones. You know, for instance, previous crates have included uh, Star Wars or Marvel or Walking Dead or Legend of Zelda, all the big stuff. This month, they're bringing you a fight for the ages. So suit up and choose your allies and enter the arena for combat. They're ready to stand their ground this month with exclusive items from Blizzard and Fallout 4 and Capcom and sponsor-worthy loot from the Hunger Games, as well as a few more items that will help their winners emerge victorious. So whether you're risking your life in battle or taking no prisoners in the wasteland, our loot will be at your side to help keep things very interesting basically loot crate is is like that friend who knows what you love and surprises you with an awesome present each and every month and did I mention that they ship to over 13 different countries now too you have until the 19th at 9pm pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate and when the cutoff happens though that's it, it's over, so go to lootcrate.com slash happy, enter the code happy to save $3 on your new subscription today were there, were there difficulties early on or at any, I'm sure, you know, you work with all different kinds of characters, the actors rather, they have all have their different processes. You have to kind of figure it out and what works for them. What were some warnings along the way in terms of this is not maybe the best way to talk to an actor or, um,
2: how do I avoid conflict as it were? Well, the best thing is to do your homework and really understand the character's motivation, what they want, why they want it. And what's preventing them from getting that? What are, they, what are they afraid of? What is stopping them from doing that? Know what they want in the scene in the moment. What are they after? Exactly where are they when the scene begins and how do, where do they progress by the scene's end? If you know those things, then you're in a great position to collaborate with an artist because you can hear their ideas and they usually not what you ever had imagined, but if they can fit into the overall story just in a new and more complex way, it's a wonderful addition. Sure. But if they are changing it so much so that it doesn't really ring true to the character anymore, as a director, you've got to pull them back and you've got to explain to them the real movements of these characters and why it doesn't have to be in the way I imagined, but why they have to make a particular choice or within some wide spectrum, this choice has to be made to further the story or to further the the logic of the character.
0: Because, yeah, your job is you're on the macro. You're looking at the whole thing and they justifiably, that's not necessarily their job. They're looking out for the interests of their character, and you have to kind of keep them on the right path.
2: That's right, too. You, you have to understand the script and bring it to life. Yeah. And sometimes the the actors may have such a different understanding of the script that it's in conflict with the story you're telling. Yeah. So that's where you really get into into problems.
0: What do you think your uh, best performance in film has been over your illustrious career? <laughs> this particular radio show.
2: <laughs> I
0: would nominate. I I uh I have a fondness for the Hudsucker Proxy, which I know you co-wrote. And you appear, you appear, you're one of the two kind of idea men, right? In Silhouette?
2: An idea man. <laughs> that I was... like the whole idea of the idea man idea. <laughs> yep. I was an idea man. Seen in Silhouette with um, John Cameron was another guy seen in that Silhouette scene. Mm-hmm. And John has gone on to, well, he was an AD for many of the Coen Brothers pictures. Went on to produce, co-produce some of them with him. And has gone on to produce and win the Emmy for Fargo. TV oh, show. oh my God. I love Fargo. I'm so excited for the news. He's done scene. a really good job.
0: Nice. Are uh, the Cones uh, uh, folks you still keep in touch with that are still folks that you'll hit Only up with? once
2: in a year and yeah. a quarter now. I see him. They invite me to the set or uh, they come over for dinner. But just them being in New York and me being in Los Angeles sure. and us having our own separate families has uh, made a lot of... Uh, A lot less frequent that I see them.
0: Are you you shocked given what you made of them at first? Like, were your first impressions of them? Does it match sort of the careers that they've gone
2: on to have? No, because my first impression of Joel Cohn was in 1981, and I had driven a station wagon full of 16 millimeter negative from Detroit to New York, and I was supposed to meet the editor. And there was this, uh, New York was not as nice a place as it is right now then, there were a lot of rough-looking characters on the streets, and one of them was pounding on my window. And I was trying to ignore him. Because I was looking for the editor, this bearded guy. It looked kind of crummy, and his clothes were filthy. And it was only after about a minute that he said, I am the editor's assistant. <laughs> I'm Joel Cohn. <Cone." laughs> so my first impression of him was that he was a danger. <laughs> so no, it did, did, I never imagined that Joel Cohn, who became a really good friend of mine, would have um, the skills and the talents to be the world's greatest, you know, writer director. Arguably, <laughs> you know, they're, they're up there. <laughs> Not bad. But I, I love them personally.
0: Um, comic books, of course, as uh, is well known, as, it was a huge part of your life growing up, right? I mean, you had a huge fondness for them. That was safe yeah. to say that was a. I mean, what what were comics to you, and what were the ones that really you were obsessed with?
2: Well, in um, second grade. I would read the Superman and Batman comic books from DC because they were much simpler and they were more for a child of that age. But then my brother, Sanders, said to me, you've got to read Spider-Man. It's so complex and exciting. He's got these girlfriends and really human problems. So I started to read Spider-Man and never looked back. The Marvel Universe really pulled me in and never let me out.
0: So before before Spider-Man, I mean... I would argue that Darkman is something of a comic book character that you created. And I have a great fondness for that, for that film. Was, I read differing things. Is it true that you had some other close calls with other comic book films before Darkman that you tried to... You were up for Batman, Thor. Were these things that, were, that came close to happening?
2: Yes, I wanted to do Batman. And uh, then I found out that Tim Burton already had been selected by Warner Brothers. And before that, I had wanted to do The Shadow. But it was Mr. Um, Zemeckis over there? No, Bob Gale. Oh, Bob Gale. We we staring at the Back to the Future poster, yeah. Yes, I'm looking at your Back to the Future poster. I love that movie. But Bob Gale had written a version of The Shadow with a partner. And um, it was at Universal. And then I went in for a meeting. And I didn't know he was the writer at the time. I just thought he was the producer. Got it. So I came in with an executive and Bob Gale and another writer. And I... Told all the things that I wanted to do. How I didn't think the Shadow's villain should be somebody who kills grandparents, <laughs> and I saw Bob getting kind of upset with me. Okay. And only halfway through the meeting, I thought, "Oh, you wrote it too." I thought you just wanted me to tell you what was right changed right change <laughs> so I didn't get that job.
0: What was your love? Because I, I I grew up. a my dad loved like the radio serials, so he would play the Shadow for me. And then I, I remember, I don't know if this was a touchstone for you because it. In the, in the mid-80s, there was that great run Howard Chaikin did on, on The Shadow and comic books that I yeah. felt was fantastic. Was awesome. that an inspiration? Completely. Yeah.
2: Loved it. Actually, his was brilliant. It was actually William Kaluta's stuff in the 70s. Oh, okay. That t- took me by fire. I mean, it was awesome. DC Comics. And there's this really cool DC comic book just around then when Batman meets Shadow. Oh, cool. And... He's run across this mysterious figure that finally helps him and saves him, and just as the, Batman's realizing, "Oh my God, you're the Shadow," who has been gone for thirty years, you know, Batman stops him and says, "I just want you to know, you were my greatest inspiration." <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so cool.
0: Um, Was Dark Man a, a happy experience at the time? It was your first kind of, uh, I guess, full-on studio film?
2: Yes, Dark Man was a, a blast for me. We had a big studio budget, like seventeen million dollars, which is probably like. million now or something and um, Liam Neeson's and Fran McDormand starred in it. And I loved working with both of them. And um, it was thrilling to make a big action picture above the skies of Los Angeles, helicopter chases, car chases, and uh, some really cool monster makeup.
0: I'll never forget the marketing was great too. I remember growing up here in New York and seeing the posters everywhere for
2: who is dark, man. It was such a smart thing from the marketeers to say, first of all, Nobody's heard of this damn superhero. So what are we, (laughs) hey, we'll ask them who is Darkman? Yeah. Wait, should I I know? Maybe I should know. Exactly. (laughs) It's a really smart way to turn a negative into a positive.
0: (laughs) Um, arguably the quick and the dead has one of the greatest <laughs> assemblage of actors I can think of that. You were, you guys were able to, to put together in that one. I'm always fascinated. Gene Hackman for, for my money is one of the greatest actors. Like there's no false note in anything he's ever done. He's also notoriously not like, like can, can be a tough guy to work with at times. He's got kind of got his own methodology. Was he, was that a tough one? Was that, a, did you have an easy working relationship with Gene or was that take some getting used to?
2: Um, it's not something I could ever get used to. <laughs> no, Gene uh, didn't like me. Oh, really? Yeah, and we uh, I tried to get along with him the best I could. But I remember uh, <laughs> our relationship probably could be summed up pretty quickly when he saw that I had storyboards. And storyboards, the director sits down himself, with him, himself or with an artist, and he explains the shots he wants, and they'll be drawn. And then director will say, no, I was thinking a little bit more low-angle where I could see both their faces, you know, real wide lens, and you work out shot by shot the visuals. You really do a blueprint of your entire movie with storyboards. When you, at least, that's what I'd like to do. And so Gene Hackman saw this giant book of boards. He says, "What? what what's that?" I said, "Gene, these are storyboards. I, uh, you know, I've got a drawing for every single shot." He says, "Am I pictured in there? My character?" I said, yeah, See, here you are going into the bar. Here you are ordering a drink, and this is when you draw your gun." I said, see, i got a super close-up. I I know I don't have to use you. I'll get a second unit to shoot that. He says, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Well, anything that you've got a picture of me doing in there, I'm not doing. (laughs) I said, but uh, you mean that you don't have to do the close-up, Gene, that's a second unit. No, no. Anything you've got a picture of me doing in there, I'm not doing. So that was how our relationship started. And it went, got worse from there. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> that's that's going to be tough. That's a deflating moment for a filmmaker. And I'm sure you had reference, reference for him going into it. I'm working with Gene Hackman and then to know, oh, wait, we're just not on the same page. He's just coming at it from a different way.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, I just called the AD and said, uh, let's not send the storyboards every morning to Gene's trailer. Cancel the
0: storyboards of Mr. Hackman. <laughs> Do you have, um, when, you know, when people like, you know, people like myself or fans or just critics like look at your career, like they'll, they'll look at like things like, you know, For Love of the Game and The Gift and A Simple Plan, which all kind of came back to back to back as kind of like, in, some might argue the least Ramey-ish films that Sam has on his resume. You can argue it both ways. I'm curious from your perspective, when you look at those, do those feel like anomalies or do those feel as personal and as unique
2: to you as the Darkmans and the Evil Deads, et cetera? They're unique to me. I was trying to do different things. Um, After Quick and the Dead, which for me was just a complete exercise in style, I felt very empty and wanted to really tell the story through character. So I didn't work for quite a time because I could not find that script. And then I was lucky enough to come upon Scott Smith's Simple Plan. And I thought, I'll only tell this story through character and camera movement and lack of camera. I won't put the camera in the most exciting place, which was always my motto, but in the right place, whatever that is. And that was how that story was told. And then I had a chance to work with Kevin Costner and tell a great Kevin Costner love story and baseball movie. Not great, but I tried to do the best that I could. And um, that was a different direction for me, a sports movie with a love story, at center. And um, then I had a chance to work with the great Kate Blanchett. And I thought, you know, I've never really worked with a a woman as my close, close collaborator. Sure. And certainly this is the best actress in the world. And it was written by a friend of mine, Billy Bob Thornton. So each movie was an attempt to do something I hadn't done before until this moment where I'm here with you, (laughs) remaking (laughs) an Evil Dead show. There you go. What was... um... That was more about uh, answering the fans, honestly. Yeah. It's the first show, first thing I ever had that the fans actually asked for. So I finally listened and delivered this. And we're thankful for it. I appreciate Thanks. it.
0: <laughs> what, what was the, um, for Spider-Man, which took up a, a several years of your life, what was the initial, what was your pitch for it and how quickly did did they respond to you? Was it in the room that you got
2: that job or did it take a while? It was very hard to get to the room. Um, I told my agent when I heard that they were making a Spider-Man movie, Columbia Pictures, I said, get me in that room. I need to have the meeting. It. I got to tell them my great passion, make this picture. He said, well, honestly, they're not that interested in you. Uh, I said, oh, well, why not? He said, well, he checked and called me back. They have 17 directors in Hollywood they would rather work with than you. <laughs> That's a very specific number. Because <laughs> I kept pestering them. So he, because this happened over the course of many conversations. So I, he finally came back with that. Look, there are 17 people we'd <laughs> rather work with than him. So just get off us. Do you want to see the list? No, actually, I don't. I'm good. I did. So <laughs> did. I, I told him, then tell them I'm number 18 because I want that job. And then I, I heard silence. When they say there's 17 in front of you, it really means we don't want you. Okay? <laughs> That's a code, Hollywood, by the way. <laughs> but nevertheless, about three months later, I asked. He said, well, let me find out. He called them, and they called them, him back angry again. Look, there's eight directors he'd still <laughs> rather work with than you, and they've kind of gone through the 17, and this is a new eight. <laughs> so yeah. I said, okay, well, at least it's better than 17. Right. So then... He called me and said, You know what? They've run out of directors and they're actually gonna turn to you and take a meeting with you. It's like <laughs> the end of the world is here, you know, it's how he explained to me. <laughs> so I went in and I told Amy Pascal, Avi Arad, and uh, the chairman of Sony my great love for Stanley's comic books and what made them great. It wasn't my pitch, it was simply what Stanley had done. It was so awesome. Yeah. And I don't think they had really understood how great of a comic book it was hearing it from someone who loved it sure and um the next day I didn't hear from them the next day I didn't hear from them but then I saw Variety and Variety said on the third day Sony has it down to three directors and I read the three and I was not listed as one of them (laughs) and then I said you know what I was stupid to even go for this job I don't know the truth is despite how much I love it I wouldn't know how to make the web. I wouldn't know how to do all these aerial stunts. I had, because I was trying to make some big machine that would fly around above Manhattan to capture these plates, would end up killing people. (laughs) And I said, "I was I kidding? I didn't want the damn (laughs) job. I kind of pitied Cameron when I saw he was going to make it with Carol Cole years ago. Then the phone rang and they said, you've got the job. Amazing. That's a big moment. Yeah. It was was shocking. Just when I completely convinced myself that (laughs) couldn't do it anyways <laughs> 17 said no we've come to you sam <laughs> it worked out for everybody did uh w- w- when you
0: look back um casting uh both peter and <laughs> you see the zod action figure so cool. michael was in here recently michael uh-huh, Cool. i mean pound for pound i think the oh, greatest sorry, working hey, actor oh that's general zod from um batman uh from um man of steel
2: but you said Michael Shaban. Michael uh, Shannon over here. oh I'm sorry Michael Shannon sorry. yeah yeah no it's all good but it's Very a fun cool. action figure right I, well I love how big they made those gigantic metal things a, I know Really,
0: the fun thing is that in that film there's of course no scene that has anything
2: rem- remotely uh, like that <laughs> uh, was, I like the audacity of the sculptor that said no he's going to be holding something big exactly <laughs> he won't stand up listen to us please no, I need this this is a vision I have <laughs> it's so cool because you looks super powerful was um,
0: casting? I would think that I mean, th- there's a lot of lore about like the folks that were up for Peter Parker and for Goblin. There were, th- I'm sure you went through a long list of people. Was it? Um, was there a lot of dis- discussion? Was there like a final two or three that you were debating in your mind, or was it clear from the start that it had to be Toby and uh, and Willem in the end?
2: No, it wasn't from the start. It's only once I met, yeah, once I met Toby, I realized that he was the guy. Yeah, I saw him in a few of his movies and met him, and really, really thought. He was Peter Parker. I think the studio fought me so much for so long because they assumed it was like a Clark Kent kind of thing. Right. And they were looking for a tall, classically handsome leading man who was not such a kid or so. They didn't understand we were really casting Peter Parker. Right. And that, that's just the difference. Did, did they have a, a first choice? I mean, there was talk of like Heath Ledger and... Heath Ledger, I met with him. Yeah. And all of Hollywood's biggest... Young stars. Yeah, you must
0: take a, a great source of pride. I mean, it's probably like I know you're, you're self analytical and and kind of can be tough on yourself from what I've read. Because you know when you look at the the three Spider-Man films, you know you have the distinction of probably making the most beloved superhero sequel of all time. I would say Spider-Man Two is fantastic in every regard. And and you're and Frank most I'm, hated. Well, I would say most hated, but I would say oh, it no, was it's... it was disappointing for some. Yeah, and most- uh, Hated. I did not. <laughs> those are not my words. They, I don't know what it would be if not that. <laughs> That's not true. What, in retrospect, what's the? I mean, from, from reading between the lines, it was it was it was the Venom part of it that you didn't connect with. Is that the regret that the studio kind of, an Avi said we got to do Venom and it wasn't your thing?
2: Well, I don't want to point fingers at anybody. Um, everyone was trying to do the best <laughs> that they could, um, and really, when a movie doesn't work, it's the director's responsibility. Um, they've got to keep sight of what the audience wants what they want and when they start when directors like myself start losing sight of what they want um it's just a recipe for disaster because you really in every moment have no one to look to for the right answer you've got to be able to look to yourself and say the camera goes here because he's mad and i want to show that he's he the you know seething i want the sweat dripping on the lens the camera's going to be low and I want to see that he's red and upset. But if you don't know how the character is supposed to be, you don't know where to put the camera, you don't know what to tell the actor, and it's impossible to make a film.
0: Yeah. When, when you look back, I know, I know four never came together, partially because you didn't think it was ready, it wasn't quite going to work. But you had cast Ann, Anne Hathaway, who's eventually going to be Black Hat, right, or um, no?
2: No, the casting never really took place in the movie because uh, the movie never went into production. Okay. We had certainly met with Anne Hathaway. We loved her in the role. But that's as far as he got.
0: Is there in your mind as a, as a fanboy yourself nowadays and seeing the, the spectrum of sort of what's out there, is there any downside to you, the, the proliferation of these movies that I'm sure when you and I were growing up would have, you know, we would have questioned someone saying, you know, every major movie is going to be a superhero movie. It's going to be ten poles from here to Sunday. Is there a downside to the fact that it dominates the industry today, you think, or do you feel like the going is good for folks like us?
2: Well, it's awesome if you're a Marvel fan. And um, the movies are really of a super high quality because they get some really great directors. But I do miss those great character stories of the 70s starring Al Pacino or Robert Redford or uh, just really uh, those William Goldman thrillers. Mm -hmm. They seem to have been sidelined a little bit doesn't seem like there's enough room on the s- enough screens or something. I don't know. There's a lot less movies being made for some reason, and those are the ones that I loved that I don't see much anymore. Dog Day Afternoons. Yeah. They had a pretty good budget is what I'm saying. Not that they wouldn't make a character piece. But those are like $3 million movies as opposed to the $30 million movies today. That's right. It's that mid-range is gone. Yeah, it's that mid-range that I missed. So that's my only regret if, yeah. the, if the superhero movies are stealing that um that supply line of uh, resources that made those films.
0: Is the, uh, is the, have you guys shot the entire run of this first season of Ash vs. Evil
2: Dead or were you guys at on it? Uh, yes, they finished shooting it. I was mostly just working on that pilot. I just finished the pilot recently, but my partner, Rob Tappert, is really running the show down in New Zealand. I went down there, shot my episode and came back and edited it. <laughs> and, and get I, all the glory. Yeah, I did look at perfect. the dailies. <laughs> hey, looks like they're having a hard time down there. <laughs> <laughs> Would you direct for the second season? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, right now, I'm actually trying to find a, a screenplay for a movie. I'd like to make a film. It's been a long time, and i am really got to get it back on the floor. That's the only thing I know how to do.
0: What's the coming off of something like, like Oz? Are you the kind of person that's reactionary to like the thing you just did? Like, let me go smaller now, or are you? I mean, you're obviously one of a handful of directors that can handle a ginormous movie and still get great performances and get it on time and make it work. Um, so I, I assume you get a lot of offers still of that ilk. I,
2: I'm. have been very lucky, luckier than I deserve, and I still get offers to make bigger budget pictures and smaller budget pictures. But i really need to connect with the character or the story in a real basic way. Otherwise, it's really. I've learned my lesson. The wrong thing for me. So, yeah, I have not found that thing yet. The shadow. I've been shooting, but I'm. I'm reading again now. Could the
0: shadow ever come back?
2: The shadow never came back, but because I don't. Oh, they did end up making it without. Ball, I don't yeah, know sure. if it was that script that he had written, though. I never saw that one. but um,
0: There's still a great shadow movie to be made, I would, I would venture, having seen that. I mean, there were elements in that one, but it
2: didn't work, in oh, yeah. the end, from my vantage point. I never saw that one. Yeah, But um, I took a lot of the elements, stole a lot of the elements from William Gibson's Great Creation, and wrote my own version of the shadow when I couldn't get them to take my changes, or, let, or they didn't let me into their project. So I called my version of Shadow Dark Man, <laughs> and I made him a master of disguise and took all the things that William Gibson, I hope I have his name right, um, had put in his original creation.
0: Do you have, a, I mean, are you the kind of filmmaker that has a lot of kind of like scripts on the backlog and things that you've been working on that, that you still hope to come to fruition? Or is it, do you, uh, Is the desk empty? Is the drawer empty? You
2: no, know, I have like uh, two scripts that I'm writing with my brother right now, and um ideas for many more but um i need to get i unfortunately put him on the staff of the tv show right and i need to get him back (laughs) he won't leave right now Uh, um i'm not surprised
0: to say that um in visiting me here today you outdressed me you always dress impeccably this is something that goes way back was this on the first evil dead were you wearing a a suit were you wearing a a jacket and tie no when did that
2: start uh that started on evil dead 2 Evil Dead 1 was just too miserably bloody and awful. And I didn't even have the money to buy a jacket or a tie at that time. But where does my, it come from? My father always told me to uh, dress in a way that conveys the level, well, that that communicates the level of respect you wish to convey. Right. And um, so I see you haven't worn a tie or a jacket, <laughs> and that's fine. We're like flip flops, no pants. <laughs>
0: I don't respect you at all, Mr. Raymond. That's not true.
2: <laughs> Please put some pants on.
0: Please. I would be wearing a tuxedo to convey how much respect I have for you. If it, w- if it came to that well, next let's take time, we break <laughs> when we come back, Josh will be wearing coat and tails. Um, I can't tell you how uh, much of a treat it is for me. I felt like this turned into a little bit of, this is your life. I hope that
2: was okay. Thank you for your kind words and, uh, your interest in the films I made and your knowledge of them. It's great to, uh, run across the interview. Well, a, uh, you're not a talk show host you're not an interviewer you're a blogger. there's no name for what I am <laughs> you're a podcaster and uh, so it's great to find a caster who uh, is very professional thank you despite thank how they dress
0: <laughs> so rude in the end he was, that was like the nicest compliment and just ended in a nasty I'm way so it's not even sorry. true uh, good luck on Ash vs. Evil Dead may it continue for many years to come I, I'm loving what I'm seeing so far man thank you sir thanks Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. It's not a question, it's a statement. It's also the name of a podcast on Wolf Pop. So if you're foolish enough to disagree, listen so we can tell you how wrong you are. I'm Kevin Avery, and each week, W. C'mon and I put out a new episode where we review every Denzel movie in alphabetical order, sort of, kind of. Look, we jump around a lot, all right? We're going to do that. We're going to catch you up on the latest Denzel news and even speculate on who would be the next Denzel. All with great guests like Omar Dorsey from the movie Selma and director Ava DuVarnet. Listen to this recent clip. I I like Training Day a lot. It's one of my favorite. If it's on TV, I'm gonna sit down and watch it. But I think for a lot of people, they want to make it's like a guilty pleasure. Denzel is red because he's playing such an unredeemable character. <laughs> it's red velvet cake. You can't eat that it every red day. day.
2: It's red <laughs> velvet cake. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, eat it during Christmas. You can't have that all the time. Yeah. So tune in to Kamau and I every week on iTunes, Wolf Pop,
0: Howl, or your favorite podcast app, and you too will understand why Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Period. Any questions? pop, 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 pop,
2: pop, pop.
0: This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Scheer, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more
2: information and content, visit wolfpop.com.